0: Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary. And before we get started with today's show, I just want to extend an invitation to you to join me on a pilgrimage to the shrines of Belgium and also to Lourdes. It's a 12-day trip taking place May 29th to June 9th. We'll be visiting the Marian apparition sites in Belgium. We'll visit shrines and cathedrals. We'll visit roadside chapels and we'll enjoy some Belgian beer. We'll end our trip in Lourdes experiencing the healing that Lourdes can offer us. Anna Nuzo will be joining us as well, a Catholic musician and artist whose voice you hear every time you tune into the podcast because it's her musical voice that leads us into the show each week. I hope you'll give some consideration to going on this pilgrimage. And if you want to learn more, head on over to Nativity Pilgrimage, and I will put a link in the show notes so that you can readily find the pilgrimage and consider making your down payment today. My name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. And today, I'm very excited to be having a conversation that I haven't had before, I don't think, on the podcast. I don't think I've ever addressed Marian consecration. We've talked about lots of different sacramentals. We've talked about devotions and titles of Our Lady but not this idea of Marian consecration. Lots of people consecrate themselves to Our Lady, and there is a lot of questions I think people have. Why consecrate ourselves? First of all, that might be a great question that I hope to answer with today's guest. And my guest today is Shane Kepler. He is uh, really a catechist and an evangelist for the last 30 years in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. He's a regular guest on Catholic Radio He's authored several books, and one of them I thoroughly enjoyed. It was Marrying the Rosary to the Divine Mercy Chaplet, and he is online at explainingchristianity.com. So really an evangelist, an apologist for the faith, and now he joins me today on How They Love Mary. So thanks so much, Shane, for joining me today.
1: Oh, it is my huge pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: And I think, you know, you wrote a book here that we're going to talk about. It's called The Biblical Roots of Marian Consecration, Devotion to the Immaculate Heart in Light of Scripture. And Marian Consecration, it's right there in the title. But I think before we even delve into that topic, the first thing we have to do is maybe just find out a little bit about your own Marian devotion. Because obviously, Marian Consecration was important enough to you that you wanted to write this book, research and write it. So where did your devotion to Mary start? When did it begin?
1: Father, it started when I was 14 years old, um, 14 or 15. Um, I would have to think about that a little bit. But I, when I was a middle school student in seventh grade, I had this real crisis of faith. And Jesus, he intervened in a powerful way to show himself to me to let me know that he was alive and he loved me, and he was the key to all the answers I was looking for. But um, when I first started to want to dive into the faith, I was influenced a lot by fundamentalist preachers that I would catch on television and uh, started reading scripture from myself, trying to devour it. But also from these preachers, I absorbed a lot of anti-Catholic views of scripture. So the Blessed Mother, that was a subject I struggled with during that first year of um, of really giving myself to the Lord and wanting to follow him wholeheartedly. But it became where Jesus kept bringing the Blessed Mother to my attention. And I wanted to resolve this issue. I was just hungry to understand what's the truth about Mary. Is it the Catholic view or the Protestant? And uh, again, Jesus opened my eyes through um, priests that I met through Catholic lay people that Mary did not detract from him, but she was there to facilitate a relationship with him through her intercession and to really enter into pondering scripture through the rosary. So for, um, I guess I would say for Christmas one year, Jesus gave me the gift of his mother when I was a freshman in high school. And that's when I started praying the rosary. Not every day. Uh, I I had fits and starts in that regard, but started praying the rosary and Mary became my mother. Also though a sister in faith, an older sister, someone who had walked the path of discipleship with all its difficulties and was right next to me as I did so, interceding for me, being my constant prayer partner. So that's Uh, Now, I'm going to turn 50 in the spring. And so that's been many, many years now. Uh, I would say that the Christian I am today, I owe to Mary's intercession.
0: Well, that's very beautiful. And to think about what you just said, you said it was really a Christmas gift, a freshman in high school, and many years later now, uh, continuing to unpack who Mary is as a person, as a mother, as a sister. Um, especially as our spiritual mother uh, through Marian consecration. So at some point then, as you are introduced to the rosary, you begin praying the rosary and such, uh, you probably learn about Marian consecration. The great apostle of Marian consecration is St. Louis de Montfort. Uh, yes. So when was it that maybe you began a Marian consecration or when did you start that process?
1: Father, I think I read true devotion for the first time towards the end of college. And, um, I, I entrusted myself to the blessed mother, but, um, I just want to say, I I don't think it became all consuming. Well, I don't think it became my particular form of spirituality. I'll say it like that. And it wasn't until, um, about 20 years ago that I, I really started to ask, what does it mean to be consecrated? Uh, how do we justify this theologically? You know, This idea of, of consecration, I mean, that sounds like something we should only be doing to God. And uh, so I struggled with that. And slowly through John Paul II, I would say, Jesus showed me that the apostle John he was, quote-unquote, consecrated to the Blessed Mother, entrusted to her. And so, this idea, instead of being something introduced centuries and centuries later, really is part of the apostolic tradition that comes down to us. It's there in John, and through him, the Lord means to extend it to the rest of the church. 15 years ago, I read True Devotion to Mary again, and Oh my gosh it floored me that time so the holy spirit had finally got me to a place where i could hear this message and that's when uh i entrusted myself to mary in a new way and i feel like the holy spirit began knitting my soul to hers and allowing me to share in her interior life with jesus that's something that each year i try to go deeper into with the blessed mother so consecration is very much um it's not just a moment in time like a wedding day where you make your vows the real good stuff is in the living it out you know that that's where the real marriage is that's where the real uh fruits of consecration are
0: now when it comes to marian consecration uh there are lots of different methods a person could employ so there's the uh, St. Louis de Montfort, the true devotion book. That's one example. And then there's uh, Father Michael Gailey wrote 33 Days to Morning Glory, and hang of that has mixed reviews. You know, a lot of people say, Well, that's not really a Marian consecration book, like it is, and how he puts it forward, but it's not what St. Louis de Montfort wanted people to do. There's uh, another one that Father Hugh Gillespie, which is really in the spirit of uh, St. Louis de Montfort, he puts forward and uh, very true uh, to the method and model of St. Louis de Montfort. He's a de Montfort father, actually. And uh, that's actually probably my favorite one. I know there's the little brown book. It's got the litanies that you pray and all of that. Some people think that's a bit too much and, you know, maybe too much formal prayer. And so, you know, the Hugh Gillespie, he incorporates it, but he doesn't say, do this every day, maybe do it at the beginning of the week, do it a few times in the week. So what, what method, I guess, would you recommend if someone wanted to do Mary and consecration? <laughs>
1: uh, Father, I, I've made use of different methods. Now, I have not made use of Father Gately's method. I've read portions of his book, but it's not something that I've done the 33 days in his model. Uh, St. Louis de Montfort is what I keep coming back to. Uh, I've also did a consecration. I believe it's Father Bloom consecration through the rosary. Yeah, Is that one year? Uh, I've done another one uh, focused upon John Paul II's meditations mm-hmm. throughout those days. I like them, but I keep coming back to de Montfort. Now, I would say that uh, there are still some things in demontfort's way of speaking, uh, his devotional language, that I personally wouldn't feel comfortable expressing things in that way.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: he's a saint and I'm not. So with all humility, I say that. And I, I'm i grateful to Jesus that he is able to take me right where I am with, with my level of understanding and um but yeah, every year I do make use, I just finished up yesterday renewing my consecration and did the 33 days with the little book uh, with the Montfort's Meditations and Life of Christ and the litanies. And I love that. I think his prayer to Jesus, thanking him for entrusting him to Mary is one of the most beautiful prayers that there is.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. And That's the tried and true method. It's the method of the saints. And it's interesting that you mentioned there's things in there that maybe you wouldn't phrase it that way. It makes you a little uncomfortable, I'm sure. Maybe slavery. That's one that some people get really taken aback by. Um, Actually, there was a publisher, Ave Maria Press. They asked me to write a book that kind (laughs) of broke down the theology of St. Louis de Montfort. And I did it on a very basic level through anecdotes and such in each chapter, but I did it through Titles of Mary, and it was called Behold the Handmaid of the Lord. And uh, I think some people have found that book to be helpful or useful in understanding some of the the context uh, of St. Louis de Montfort. But what we understand, I think, from St. Louis de Montfort, he draws upon scripture, he quotes scripture uh, in his writings and such. And this is what you really wanted to bring out, you want uh-huh. the biblical roots of Marian consecration. And uh, for me, the way that I've always described it, and that's how I describe it in the book that I, I wrote on it, uh, I said that Marian consecration is our taking Mary into our home. And so you mentioned a few moments ago that you know it goes back to the time of the apostles of John the Beloved t- right. at the foot of the cross. And that's really always been my understanding. And that's the that's my 1 minute pitch for Marian consecration it's our yes to saying i want mary to be my mother. But what did you find for all the other different biblical roots for Marian consecration? Wow,
1: great question. Uh long answer, <laughs> but i'll start out with saying that uh John Paul II the way that he spoke about Marian consecration i found really made sense of things and uh love a book by Monsignor Calkins called Totus to us. the way that he unpacks John Paul's understanding of consecration I I found incredibly helpful and I recommend that book to anyone. Um, John Paul, he will use entrustment as a synonym for consecration. And what what Monsignor Calkins brings out from that is that theologically speaking, consecration is something that we only offer to God. When we look at the Old Testament, the word for consecrate is kodesh, comes from the Hebrew word for holy. Kodesh, holy means completely other. And so, when we consecrate something, we're giving it completely over to God. It is His. It's taken out of the secular world. It's completely devoted to God's use. So, you as a priest, you know we we hear in the Scripture, we still hear today of altars being consecrated, the sacred vessels, priest being consecrated to the Lord. So completely given over for God's use. When we speak of Marian consecration, we're doing so by analogy that this complete consecration we make to the Lord, to Mary, we're making a complete entrustment as much as we possibly can to another human being that we want to uh we want to enter fully into her interior life with Jesus, into her heart's love and surrender for him, that he can enter into us and become incarnate in our words, in our actions, our prayer. We want to give birth to him as the Blessed Mother did. And by the Holy Spirit, uniting our hearts with hers and allowing that grace that she's full of to come into us. And to bless us, that kind of entrustment aids us in our consecration to Jesus and through him to the Father. So that's that's the goal of Marian quote unquote consecration.
0: And I think it's interesting that you specifically mentioned the heart. So Hmm. we talk about consecration of the sacred heart of Jesus to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Is that how Saint Louis de Montfort really viewed Marian consecration? Was to the heart of Mary? Because we always hear that phrase, to Jesus through Mary. So what's the importance? What's the significance of the heart, I guess, for consecration?
1: Yeah, good question. I, well, the apparitions of Fatima, of course, really draw our attention to this. And so we've got to ask why? Why, Lord, focus upon the heart of Mary? In De Montfort, I, I do believe that De Montfort does focus upon the Blessed Mother's heart. Uh, scripturally speaking, the heart is not just our emotional center, but it's the very center of our person. That is where we not just feel, but we think, we consider, we we struggle with decisions. In Scripture, it's the heart that prays, it's the heart that loves, and it's the heart that God dwells in. So, when we say devotion to Mary's heart we want to be devoted to her interior life, her spiritual life, the the deepest part of her that is in contact with God and receives that fullness of grace. That's what we want to enter into. So by saying consecrated to her heart, this is not a superficial devotion. This is not just Mary's outward characteristics. We want to participate in her relationship with Jesus.
0: And there's nothing more intense than that. And you dedicate the whole first part of your book to the idea of Mary's heart. And this is something that I'm mesmerized over and longtime listeners of this podcast probably have read my book, A Heart Like Mary's.
1: As have I. And, <laughs> and I love it. Yeah. Stuff.
0: So 31 daily meditations to help you live in love as she does. And, um, you know that that all started from my spiritual director. He asked me one time, Edward, you love Mary so much. Where is your Marian heart? That sometimes I lacked that Marian heart. So what you're talking about there is the interior life of Mary. And and that's what he was saying. He's like, You love her, but you don't let that interior life, in a sense, to consume all that you are and who you are. And And uh, so that was the great challenge. And I spent a year reflecting on what it meant to live with a Marian heart, which then actually inspired that book uh, that I wrote for Ave Maria Press. But I love the the different aspects of the heart that you focus on. You focus on nine. I focused on 31 as I kind of reflected Uh, on it. But you're doing this from a very biblical uh, perspective. You're bringing out some of the great titles of the Old Testament. New Eve, Living Ark. So Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. The Daughter Zion. Daughter Zion is one of those titles of Our Lady that I I especially love. It's a great Advent title, Rejoice, O Daughter Zion, for the Lord is in your midst. He has removed the guilt of the people. And unfortunately, some biblical scholars, uh, Raymond Brown in particular, he says that we should not read Mary into these prophecies of the Old Testament. He says that that they did not have her in mind. But I, I just think that's foolish because of course, this has been the tradition of the church for a hundred years, for hundreds of years, we, we've done this. So uh, what what's your take, I guess, on some of these uh, Old Testament archetypes of Mary and how do they foreshadow Mary in consecration?
1: Okay, like you two, I agree to say that we shouldn't see Mary in that imagery That's ridiculous. I mean, if we can look at the Old Testament and see Jesus there, well, the way that he entered the world is also going to be present there in the Old Testament. We look at Genesis 3, and it talks about this woman who's going to be at enmity with the serpent and her son, the seed of the woman, who will crush the serpent's head. So right there at the very beginning of scripture, we have this the mother of the Messiah being prophesied. The Jewish rabbis saw that when they looked at Genesis. Brant Petrie does a great job of bringing this out in his book, quoting from the Targums of the time. So daughter Zion, for God to speak to daughter Zion and to say, he will be in her midst. And the Hebrew word there is womb. Well, of course, when God says this, the fullness of that word to Zephaniah is going to be in the incarnation. That's where God is in our midst. And God surely saw the womb of the Blessed Mother when he was speaking about that. So for an Old Testament scholar to say Zephaniah, he wasn't envisioning Mary when he said that. Well, the Lord God, the principal author of Scripture, surely was. And so whatever intimation Zephaniah had when he spoke those words and they were written down. God knew exactly what he was doing. And we don't don't read the scripture as just a human document. It's a divine document. So, um, and the authors of the New Testament bring out these images themselves. As you know, Father, when Luke's writing in Luke 1, and he's talking about Mary's visit to Elizabeth, he's using that imagery of the Ark of the Covenant. He's he is comparing her to when David brought the Ark up to Jerusalem. The parallels are unmistakable. And Benedict, um, well, when he was still Cardinal Ratzinger, in his book, Daughter Zion, he brings out how the verbs that Luke is using in that narrative of visitation, those verbs are only used in the Old Testament in the Septuagint translation when talking about the Ark. And then Even prior to that, in the Annunciation narrative, where Luke is talking about how Mary will be overshadowed by the glory of God, the Holy Spirit, he is using that same language that is used in the Old Testament to talk about God's presence overshadowing the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. So Mary is the fulfillment of the Ark. Go back to the Old Testament or think about watching Indiana Jones, and you see what the Ark is. It's the most sacred object under the old covenant, and it had to be made with the purest gold. No one could touch it. Okay, the New Testament realities always surpass the Old Testament images. We see this in Jesus, in his church. The same is true of Mary. If the Ark is the holiest object under the old covenant, absolutely pure, that's just an image of the purity that God has placed in our blessed mother. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, there's so much that we could say there. Uh, the role of the queen mother in the kingdom of Judah, the way that when Solomon's mother comes into his throne room, he gets off his throne and he bows to her. He has a throne brought set right next to his for the queen mother, the Gibi Ra, to sit upon, and she's an intercessor with the king. In the book of Jeremiah, both the king and the queen are spoken of as shepherds of the people. So the queen is sharing in that role. When, when they start talking about um, how Judah's conquered, uh, they they list the queen mother as the highest official after the king, and then it's all the other ministers. All this points to Mary's role in Christ's kingdom.
0: Yeah, the fact that she is the Queen Mother. And what I love about the Queen Mother imagery, and I do a lot with this in in terms of the Marian Apparition and Champion, because Mary says to Adele Bryce in 1859, I am the Queen of Heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners. So she's telling us she's the Queen of Heaven and that she's praying for the conversion of sinners. So you have actually a heart of intercession, which is kind of this idea of the Queen Mother and how she intercedes for the people—that was her role. That that they would go to her, and she'd bring their needs to the king, and then the king would adjudicate, and she would bring it back to the people. Is that a fair understanding?
1: It sure is, Father. I feel the same way.
0: And I, I just think that that really emphasizes in this Marian apparition. It brings that out, and I because she tells us who she is and what she does in heaven. She's praying for the conversion of sinners and. That means she's praying for you and me and for the whole world. And and uh, we're grateful for her intercession. And in, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, we uh, hear about Mary's heart a few different times as well from mm-hmm. Luke. Luke talks about she pondered these things in her heart. He also tells us about the prophecy of Simeon. So that uh, a sword of sorrow will pierce your heart so that the thoughts of many might be revealed. When it comes to the immaculate heart, I think we kind of focus on this idea of pondering that in her immaculateness she's meditating. Uh-huh. Then we talk about the sorrowful heart. So um in terms of Marian consecration, how do these two scripture passages relate?
1: Father, one thing that I like to point out to people is in the Gospels, there are only three individual hearts that are spoken of. Jesus, his sacred heart. Mary's immaculate heart. But then there's actually a third, and that is the heart of Judas, who betrays the Lord. And so it it strikes me that in the Gospels, we're given this incredible juxtaposition in relation to the heart of Christ. And at the end of our lives, the truth is, we're only going to have the heart of one or the other, either Mary completely surrendered to him, or we're going to have the heart of Judas, which places some kind of earthly good or comfort ahead of the Lord. And and we know that only one of those brings us to true fulfillment. So those passages you brought up about Mary's heart, uh, yeah, those capture such depth about, about this heart. And for one, it hangs upon God's every word. And it, it doesn't take them in superficially, but the words that Luke uses there about pondering, it's she is dissecting what has been said as well as what she's witnessed she's looking at these events and she is taking them apart and putting them back together interiorly trying to just suck the marrow out of them everything they could possibly mean And the other element her heart that is pierced alongside christ's own the words that simeon follows that with the the thought out of many hearts may be laid bare so mary is sharing in the pain of christ upon the cross but, but that pain is not fruitless it bears fruit in souls being convicted of how they stand in relation to god and turning to the lord or turning away but but jesus that mission that he has upon the cross and the way that his suffering it changes the heart of one of those criminals crucified with him. That that criminal sees the way he is suffering and in it, he perceives Jesus' divinity and he asks for mercy. In the same way, when the Blessed Mother suffers, when members of the church suffer, but do it through God's grace, allowing them to carry them through the suffering, to remain faithful, God uses that too that the thoughts out of many hearts, our families, our friends, can be convicted. Seeing God present and, and seeing that faithfulness that he can produce in our souls, even amidst the greatest pain, there's redemptive value in that. How many people through the years, thinking about the Blessed Mother at the foot of the cross and the way she maintained her faith, or looking upon that image of the Pieta and being struck by what she suffered, but at the same time, that she's the most blessed of all creatures. That's the mystery of our redemption, the cross and the resurrection.
0: So you've gone to great lengths to explain Marian consecration, to look especially at Mary's heart through the scriptures, and especially then how that relates to us as we decide to make that consecration. What's a compelling reason for a person to make a Marian consecration?
1: Well, Father, I would say, let's look at three examples. Okay, one, a person could never be more entrusted to Mary than the Lord Jesus was by God the Father. So, if the Father entrusts her with the Son, that's a pretty strong argument. (laughs) Second, we have the image of St. Joseph, who, when we meet him at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, Scripture says he's a just man. And that word for just, it means one who loves God's law and lives by it with all his heart. So Joseph already had a relationship with God, and yet he is asked to come deeper, to draw nearer to the divine presence, specifically through his union with Mary as her husband. So by taking Mary again, as you said, with John into his home, but into his heart, by entrusting her. With everything that is his, he comes into contact with the Messiah and he lives in that intimate union with Jesus, but it's specifically because of his union with Mary. So th- those things are inseparable in the life of Joseph. And we definitely want the kind of holiness and intimacy with Jesus that Joseph had. And it's facilitated by the Blessed Mother. But the third reason, the Apostle John, as we already said, at the foot of the cross, When Jesus, he first looks down at Mary and he says, behold, your son. And then he's looking at John saying, behold, your mother. So Jesus entrusts John to her first. And what John's gospel says next, that from that moment, the disciple took her into his idia. We translate that in English as into his home. But that's not the Greek word. It literally says he took her into his own and so, yeah, his home, that's true, but into his own, into everything that is his, and specifically into his interior life. So from that moment until Mary's assumption into heaven, John is praying with her every day, three times a day as, a fa- as faithful Jews, just like Jesus and Mary did throughout his life. John is celebrating the Eucharist with her. So that foot of the cross that they were standing at Mary and John are sacramentally present at the foot of the cross continually throughout the rest of Mary's life. John's sharing that with her and Mary's humility to receive her son Jesus back through the hands of John in communion. That's incredible. But John, he's talking about Jesus. He's reading scripture with Mary and reflecting upon Jesus' mystery. And so John comes to this penetration of who Jesus is, that is different than what we're reading in the Synoptic Gospels. Everybody sees that with John's Gospel. You know, we talk of it as the most spiritual of the Gospels. Well, why is that? It's the fruit of John's entrustment to Mary. What John is sharing with the church is the fruits of his own Mary and consecration. And so we want to enter into that. We want that kind of intimacy with Jesus that comes through intimacy with his mother, too. And just like with Joseph, there's a profound union there when when Mary's facilitating it. Uh, You mentioned the uh, the apparition um, in Champion. And I love the apparition at Knock because I feel like that captures the... At least it captures how Marian consecration has made sense to me because what do we see there? There is Jesus upon the altar. So we're focused upon his Eucharistic sacrifice. That's the way we enter into the life of heaven. But then we see Mary silently in prayer with her arms upraised and the crown upon her head. And on both sides of her, on one side, she's got John, and on the other, she has Joseph. So here are these two scriptural images of Marian consecration flanking our blessed mother and it's all about entering into christ's consecration his self-offering to the father along with mary i i can't say enough about that
0: wow yeah that is incredible i do love the knock apparition there's such profoundness there because of course uh one of the unknown facts about knock is that right after this uh, archdeacon kavanagh who was the pastor of the parish he Mm -hmm. celebrated mass for 33 days a series of gregorian masses for all of the dead of his parish and it was the next day that this apparition takes place and so you have the altar there and and so that's the sacrifice and so that's prayer for the dead that's prayer for the holy souls for those who have passed and then you have john who was there at the foot of the cross you have Joseph, who's a patron of a holy death. So there's even, there's, there's great richness, uh, to, to the knock apparition and, you know, John's presence there holding the scriptures. Well, that's for us to, to meditate. Thank you. Yes. About. Yeah, definitely. Father, I've never heard that before about the
1: 33 days. Yeah. Of, of um, masses. And I, I've got several books on knock.
0: Thank you. Yeah. That I've is also awesome. credit to Susan Tassoni. She's the one that that has told me that and, and I've interviewed Father Gibbons a few times for a few different podcasts, and oh. uh, and so we've talked a little bit about that. But uh, yeah, so NAC is a, a beautiful Marian apparition. Uh, we referenced earlier, of course, Fatima, which is the one that calls for Marian consecration, especially mm-hmm. of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So uh, there's all of this consecration connected. We can find it there within these Marian apparitions. What I love what you do in the second part. So you give us kind of the biblical foundation, but then you tell us, well, this is how you can live your Marian consecration. We just did a great conversation about Mary and the Eucharist. You shared so beautifully about that. And I remember that at the end of True Devotion, that's something he has there. As a person that's written on prayers after Holy Communion, I I, I was fully aware of kind of... uh, St. Louis de Montfort recommending us to receive communion with Our Lady and, and yes. I think that's a, a beautiful thing um but I, I like some of these titles that you've given to the chapters I uh the garment she made us and so you talk mm-hmm. about the brown scapular you have keeping her schedule I like that one the most keeping her schedule so the Angelus at six noon and six and then observing the first Saturdays so there, It's clever. And I just want to give you kudos uh, for that. (laughs) Well, thanks.
1: Uh, I'll give kudos to the Holy Spirit on that.
0: (laughs) And uh, so the garment she made us, the brown scapular, it's given (laughs) to St. Simon Stock. Uh, I had a few episodes back. Father Jeffrey Kirby had just written a kind of a nine day preparation for investiture. I (laughs) saw that. I would love to read it. You can use it also for renewal of kind of just having that renewed spirit of the brown scapular. So um, it's just not for investiture. Sometimes titles of books are misleading, whatever. But um, so so that's a devotion. Now, she, Mary has also given us the miraculous medal uh, to Catherine Labre. Just curious, you know, of course, it's not a garment, but it's something that maybe Mary wishes to clothe us and it's not included there. So just curious, why not?
1: Father, I'll tell you, I um, I mainly was just looking at um, the biblical imagery and for me, the scapular. Uh, I really do see the biblical roots of it, but also um, very much devotion to the Immaculate Heart. I wanted to talk about the elements addressed at Fatima. And so with the brown scapular being addressed directly at Fatima, Whereas the miraculous metal, even though I love the miraculous metal and I will attach it to my scapular, uh, I didn't address it, and those are the simple reasons. I meant sure. no no disservice to the miraculous metal, though.
0: What's the greatest thing you learned as you sat down, researched, read, and then wrote this book? Oof.
1: Um. greatest thing I learned. Um, Father, I think what I personally was really captivated by was at the end of those chapters in the second part of the book for each of these elements of devotion to the Immaculate Heart, I include a saint who kind of uh, exhibited that in their own life, really captured it. And I was not aware of how much of a role the Blessed Mother had played in the visions that Jesus gave to Mother Teresa when he called her to her mission. Powerful. Um, I mean, Mary was an integral part of what Mother Teresa was called to do. And in trusting, uh, in trusting her sisters with having people pray the rosary, that this was also such an integral part of how people were going to be brought to Jesus So for me, that, I guess that was the most surprising element. Um, I'd been living in my head with so much of the rest of the book for so long. Uh, I actually wrote the outline for this in the intro and first chapter eight years ago, and no Catholic publishers were interested in it at the time. And then the Lord actually allowed Tan books out of the blue to contact me about an editing job. Somebody had recommended me. And I was like, hey, I would love to. Oh, and by the way, I've got this manuscript I'd love to talk to you about. And the Lord opened the door and they wanted to run with it. And I finished it actually nine months ahead of schedule, just when we hear that Pope Francis is going to consecrate the world to, or consecrate the world, Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart. And so turned it into tan nine months early and they put it into production. I, that was, um so it was towards the end of the writing period that I was reading about Mother Teresa. And that was very new to me.
0: You know, for, uh, well, maybe first to mention, as you conclude each one of those chapters on Mary's heart, you specifically wanted to exemplify St. Joseph. So you yes, kind of. In the first part. Yeah. So you have, uh, Jesus's heart that we talked about, we have Joseph's heart uh, that really has grown in devotion because of uh, Father Donald Calloway. So, so that's a very mm-hmm. interesting uh, uh, aspect I, I think that you bring out there too. But I, I just want to comment that it's always. God's providence for when books are released, you know. Um, so I wrote this book, How They Love Mary. It's why I have a podcast called How They Love Mary. Because, like you, uh, I wanted to write that book, I think, back in like 2017, 2018. Like I just realized I had written so much about people's Marian devotion that I thought, well, it's silly that this is in Marian studies. It's silly this is in the Merton seasonal or Chicago studies. Like, nobody reads theological journals <laughs> except nerds okay <laughs> so i'm like why can't i re reappropriate rewrite this for a popular audience and and uh, so i i reached out to one of the publishers because i had written for maybe two or three different publishers at that point and uh-huh. and, and each one like said no and then it was still on my heart and so i i decided i'm going to start a podcast maybe that'll create an audience for the book or whatever uh-huh. and then Uh, And then what happened was I I still felt called to do it, and again reached out to publishers, and finally one of them said yes. But um, what I know is that if I would have wrote the book six years ago, it would have looked a lot different than what it did today. Mm. You know, it really developed and evolved, and and just like your you, like if you would have wrote that book eight years ago, well, it would have been around for Pope Francis, but there was greater enthusiasm for Pope Francis's consecration, which then you know, for you to talk about the biblical roots of what he's doing. So, you know, it's all in God's timing, I think, for these books.
1: Amen. Father, I will add, I do think one of the more surprising things that stood out to me in researching scriptural roots was uh, something that St. Paul says in First Corinthians 7, where uh, w- when I specifically write about the act of consecration, I I think of marriage as being a great analogy for what's going on here, a great scriptural analogy. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, he says something amazing. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she shouldn't divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is consecrated through his wife. And the unbelieving wife Mm. is consecrated through her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? So, Paul, as you and I know, he's no theological dummy. He knows that Jesus is the only Savior, but he's saying that in Christ's hands. Husbands and wives can be instruments, instrumental causes of another person's salvation. they consecration to God. They're being handed over to him. And if that's true of unbelieving spouses, then we look at what Paul says in Ephesians 5 about believing spouses, that a believing husband and wife, their marriage is a great mystery, a sacrament that makes present the mystery of Christ's love for the church. And that a husband's called to pour himself out to his wife, a wife to submit to her husband. And that in that mutual submission, that mutual entrustment, they are brought to the full life of Jesus in heaven. That's our Lord's purpose. And so if that's true of marriage, that can also be true of this entrustment that we make to our mother in Christ, that the Lord, well, a husband and wife, they surrender everything about themselves to the other person, their property, I mean, their their income, uh, their time, their very bodies. And in that surrender, neither spouse becomes an idol to the other. They're not an impediment to their relationship with Jesus. But the Lord uses that love to facilitate a deeper relationship with him. It's a sacrament. And so, with Mary, when we enter into this deep entrustment, again, it only takes us deeper into the life of Jesus. So I I was amazed by that in scripture, that we really can point to something that strongly to show, especially our Protestant brothers and sisters.
0: You just used the word entrustment, and I know that there's great debate over this, whether we should use the word consecration or if we should use entrustment. So what's your thoughts on that? Because you kind of use them interchangeably.
1: I do. Father, I think that okay, in Catholic circles, when we use that word in consecration, we understand that we can use words by way of analogy, and that everyone does. That true consecration, we can never hand ourselves to over to anyone as completely as we do to the Lord God Himself. Only He deserves that level of of sacrifice. Um, But um, just like we use the word father, in truth, only God is father and only Jesus is teacher. But by way of analogy, we understand that our dads, it's fine to call them father because they image God the father and they truly participated in God's act of generation of our lives. And teacher, true, Jesus is the only teacher of humanity, but by the gifts he gives to human beings, giving them knowledge and understanding and empowering them to speak his truth, they can be called teachers by way of analogy. So in the same way, Mary and consecration, we can say we're consecrated to Mary, still understanding that God, God is the one we're truly giving ourselves to. With Protestant brothers and sisters, I think it's better to use the word entrustment just because uh, it takes away that confusion that they can have. In Protestant circles, I don't think that analogy is understood the way that it is within Catholicism. And so when they read a passage like Jesus saying, call no man on earth father, call no man teacher, without an understanding of an analogy, they take those words in a literal way that they weren't meant to be taken. So I think the same with consecration. That That's my two cents worth.
0: Sure. I know that John Paul II used entrustment. I, there, there's this one scholar I know that gets bent out of shape over these words. I think there's probably greater things to be concerned or worried about than whether to use consecration or entrustment. But I think your book, The Biblical Roots of Marian Consecration, uh, can really help people deepen their Marian devotion. That's something I say at the beginning of every podcast. You know, I hope that this podcast will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. And so if someone's looking to go deeper, you've been praying the rosary, maybe you wear the brown scapular, the miraculous medal, mm-hmm. you follow apparitions. But if you've never consecrated yourself to Our Lady, maybe pick up this book first of all. And then secondly, discern whether or not you should do it then after you read the book, or If you've already consecrated yourself to Mary, well, understand why you did what you did by picking up your book available from TAN Books. And uh, uh, where can people find you online and uh, learn more about you?
1: Well, thanks, Father. Uh, I've got a website called explainingchristianity.com. And if folks go there, they'll find links to articles that I've written. Uh, Most of the recent ones all have to do with Marian consecration and elements of our devotion, like Brown Scapular, First Saturday. Where's that rooted in scripture? But I also have links to interviews on the radio and podcasts. Ours will be on there if people wanna re-listen to to it. Uh, And there's also links to where they can order the books.
0: Wonderful. And do you get people that come to your website explaining Christianity and they're expecting it just to be Christianity, but they encounter that it's explaining Catholicism?
1: Right. Um, I think my tagline on the website is is, um, something like coming to understand the heart of our faith from its Trinitarian roots, especially as expressed in Catholicism.
0: Okay. Sure. Well, wonderful. And maybe one last question. We heard your little (laughs) dog earlier. What's the dog's name? His name's Toby.
1: I'm sorry about that.
0: (laughs) No worries. Uh, you know, I have a dog that sometimes you could hear him pawing around if I'm on a live show or something, or the <laughs> cat will meow just because it meows randomly, annoyingly. So so <laughs> I totally understand these distractions. So, uh, well, thanks so much, Shane, for joining me today, for talking about Marian consecration. And I now understand in a greater degree, really, the biblical roots, and I hope others will as well. Oh, thank you so much, Father. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I hope that it was enriching for you, that it deepened your love for Mary. And if you don't mind, would you please do a few things? First, follow me, Father Edward Looney, on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the handle at FR Edward Looney. Also, you can follow my YouTube page and you'll be able to see the video content that I put out each week. And if you don't mind, could you rate and review this podcast? Go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate it. And if you're able, write a review because that will help others to find this podcast as well. I appreciate you tuning in week after week. I would appreciate your prayers. And please know that I remember you in mine as well. Until next time, may God bless you and may we pray for you.